Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to go over the results of the final regional championships of the 2023 season, the Fresno Regionals that took place this past weekend. We'll chat about a new Pokemon TCG series that is set to come out today, the day that this episode is airing. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's real favorite segment of the podcast, and... Finally, we're going to end the episode by talking about uh, the fact that Pokemon finally said something about a controversy. They made a statement about something that happened in the community at a regionals a few weeks ago. Give our thoughts, give our takes, read the statement and chat about all that and more on this week's episode. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my friend and co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I had Fresno this Wide weekend. Wide awake, huh? <laughs> I'm a little bit tired, I guess. I had Fresno this weekend, uh, and it was really nice because this is the closest regional to me this season. It's about like a couple hours drive, so that's super nice. So I actually just like drove back on Sunday after I was out of top eight contention. Get home, chill, uh, get a good night's sleep for the following day. I had a lot of errands to run today, meal prepping, laundry all that fun stuff that i do after tournaments when i get home um but yeah made another day two wasn't quite uh didn't do quite as well in day two as i had wanted to i went in at seven two overall which is a lot better than six two one but ended up going three three overall and i got 33rd unfortunately i got the <laughs> half of the 30 pointers made top 32 half of them didn't and i got 33rd on opponents i actually looked at it, i looked at it today because i saw someone posted the standings uh and i got 33rd on opponents opponents resistance nice. yeah me and whoever got 32nd was at we were both at 50 percent opponents resistant but my opponents opponents were slacking for sure um so yeah it's fine though i'm not really too concerned about it i'm not trying to like i'm stressing about like chasing points for the last couple points for like you know my invite obviously or even like a top 16 finisher i think it should be pretty much a guaranteed 100 lock for top 16 unless like I most think you're anomalous, good, but... <laughs> anomalous anomaly happened. Um, I don't think should it's be possible. in a pretty good spot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool to see Caleb get the the back to back finals. Unfortunately, another second place. But uh, I think the big thing for him is like he was kind of on the cusp of getting top sixteen the day two invite, but now he's like in a pretty solid spot to be able to close it out if he gets some points at IC. So that was pretty dope. Yeah, definitely, it was really cool to see Caleb with back to back weekends of really deep runs. Um, we were talking about it. I don't think anyone has ever done back-to-back second-place finishes at regionals. Um, <laughs> the back-to-back regional wins, obviously, that's that has happened a couple times, but the, the second place has not quite happened, which is, I mean, obviously winning is uh, the main, you know, the big thing, right? But getting second place is almost... History remembers winners, but getting second place at these tournaments, especially when there's like a 1,000 people at them, is almost as like it's just the difference of one game right it's almost equal as far as like how good your tournament run was but um but yeah and i was in fresno as well i casted had a great time i was paired up with ethan hegster heggy and i think we make a pretty good pair ethan and i casted together through the players cup tournaments and i think that this was the first time we cast together this season if i'm remembering right i don't think we've been paired up together once yet maybe in San Diego, but I don't think so. So it was definitely a good time getting to work with him. And we got to do the finals as well together, which was 
great. It's always a blast. And we had some interesting moments, including a player who literally threw away their uh, <laughs> winning into top eight game. They just had they it was literally a situation of all they had to do was just pass and they were not going to lose. Right. And yeah. They would have won the set 1-0, but they dug a little too hard, decked themselves out. They were turn one of time. Cal Connor was turn two, and so Cal just drew and passed back. And Cal got the winning game two, which meant they tied, which meant Cal got to 34 match points and made it into cut and then made it all the way to top four, actually, even, which was pretty wild. So, um, yeah, Cal, Cal got away with one there, and I think he knows it for sure, too. Um yeah, I wasn't watching. I didn't watch. I was watching some of that match. I didn't watch all of it all the way through. I was like, I don't but it, but I feel like at some point in that game, Cal was like pretty far ahead um, in, in game two. Because I remember looking at it, I was like, oh, I guess Cal's probably going to win this. Then it's going to tie. And then Cal's going to make, has a chance for cut at 34. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, Cal's opponent, if they win, was guaranteed. But Cal would be at 34, which is like maybe a bubble in. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Um, but it seemed like Cal was super far ahead. But I didn't really realize how much time, maybe I didn't really notice how much time was left. Uh, in the round, um, yeah, I think yeah, they got to... down to the wire on time, and I also think it was like a. I don't remember exactly what happened, but it might have been like a Curlia plus getting knocked out plus a judge that like led to Cal kind of slowing down a little bit from where okay. he was in in an advantage. I don't remember exactly what it was that happened, but yeah, I mean, regardless, Cal ended up getting in there and got the top four finish. Uh, pretty stacked top four. Uh, really, the top eight was really great, obviously, as well. But like, if you look at just the four names at these tournaments, it's just not too often that you look at it. And by the time we get to the final four, there it's literally four top 16 competitors, which is pretty cool that it's like the highest level of competition still happening at our regionals, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's also good to see that like the, the less familiar names are still getting up there, too. Um, yeah, there were some surprise the... ones or some new names. Still showing like the growth in the game as far as the competitive scene goes, and it's not just the. Although I guess I could like speak to like maybe how hard the game is if you just see the same names over and over. But we do see the same names over and over. I think consistently enough to show that there's still quite a bit of skill expression in the Pokemon TCG. No matter how many people like always like to bring up how how it's all luck based and you're flipping coins and rolling dice, <laughs> and I always draw so bad, my opponents always get so lucky. Like if you still see the same names towards the top of, uh, you know, top eights or contending for top eights, whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, it just kind of shows that it's probably you misplaying and not so much you getting unlucky <laughs> for those situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on, like, I think the deck that everyone blames that on these days right now is Lugia, right? With the Mesa Goza flips, with the Capturing Aroma flips. And I mean, I think the best example of it is Reagan, right? Um, you know, he won a regionals, he got top four at a regionals and second place at a regionals, all with this with same Lugia. 60 cards. Um, yeah. And he did miss day two at a regionals with these same 60 cards. So, I mean, he hit the bad side of variance at least once. Um, but, I mean, made top eight three times. And it's he's yeah. not going to make <laughs> top eight three times at these thousand-person tournaments just on the back of good variance, you know? Like, he's making the best plays and taking advantage of the fact that, like, he's getting the right coin flips, right? Yeah, exactly. Definitely, definitely correct, yeah. Like, you didn't can't get... Yeah, it's like, it's very hard to do... Uh, just based on, you know, good variance. I mean, good variance is, is going to always be part of it, like of course. going, having a successful run. But yeah, there definitely is. It's your your own luck can be created a lot more in Pokemon than than people think. Um, but getting to the event a little bit more, this was a 
Team Northwest event, who have been getting a little bit of flack recently um, as we've been kind of nearing the end of the season. And I think it's kind of, it's even kind of an amplified just because of how well the last two events were ran um, before Fresno in Milwaukee and was it Charlotte or Hartford. Which one was it? It was some Hartford. East Coast Hartford. Um, that was overload events and day two events was Milwaukee. Overload events was Hartford. And those were, that was probably their best events of the year. So that added in with uh, how poorly Team Northwest events had been run this year. But I would say this is probably the best ran Team Northwest event this year as well. So all, even though it was still, um, I'd say not as good as Overload in day two, um, I don't just rag on Team Northwest just to rag on them. They definitely are the worst of the organizers here in uh, America. But I think they did finish strong despite some hiccups, which is like one of the ones that you have on the screen there, I believe, with the massive line outside <laughs> of the venue. Um, despite the, some hiccups, um, this is definitely their best ran event of the year. For sure. Yeah, uh, the timing ended up being pretty decent. Like, we still got out of there. Um, day I, I got one, out at like 8.30, personally. Yeah, day one and day two at reasonable times. So it wasn't too bad. And there was a lunch break still. So... Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Overall, it was it definitely felt like their best run event so far the year. I wasn't at Portland, which apparently was the worst one of the year. So yeah. I don't know the details of that. But and, and this is also something the the big line. This is something that kind of was blown up on Twitter. There are several pictures of this. Just people waiting to get into the <laughs> venue. Pairings were up and people are still waiting in a line outside. Um, like, I don't even know if you can attribute this to being Team Northwest's fault. Right. Um... Like I mean, This is like a venue thing, I think. Well, there wasn't a lot of it was a smaller venue for sure. They didn't have like sure. a ton of space. Uh, there wasn't a ton of entrances either. And there they were doing the metal detector or like the swipe, the wand metal detector thing. So there was a, lot, a little bit more security at this one. And I don't mind that. I think that's fine. I think um, that actually level security. I think I've seen some like bigger conventions who do that as well, having like the metal detectors and stuff. So that's fine. I don't think it's a big deal. But uh, one thing you can kind of always rag on Team Northwest for here still is that they close check-in on friday at 4 p.m which like people are that's like when people are flying in to the <laughs> to the especially to the of, west coast yeah or like driving down right like maybe people are doing like a half day of work and then they're driving um, or you have a lot of people in california who are just who are they're, they're, just, they're just gonna drive right but it's like a six hour drive eight hour drive california is big um so i i think you can still hold them that against them um that's definitely felt i've definitely felt the difference like you you go in there for day uh for the first day of the event and they're the the line to get into the hall is just always so big because they close the check-in so early. I don't think it was a different time this time around. I want to confirm that to make sure I'm not uh, going to eat my words here. So I'm going to confirm that real fast. But yeah, yeah that's that's something, something I've noticed in the past. Like that one thing specifically stands out to me every single uh, every single time. And of course, deck lists were still due the night before the tournament, um, which always throws a wrench in people's plans. Uh, outside of the TCG, I saw Aaron Cybertron Zhang, a, you know, one of the biggest names in Pokemon, but specifically Pokemon VGC. He oh. missed his deck list or his team list submission for the VGC tournament and was going to have to start the tournament with an 01 loss. Uh, 01, yeah, an 01 record to start the tournament. And he was like almost considering he needed to go 6 3 to get his invite, but that is their bubble. Um, for points, I think is six and three. And because he 
didn't have his team list submitted, he was going to be at the bottom of the resistance regardless. Like, I think that's just yeah. how it works. If you're yep. submitted late, you are at the bottom of whatever your record's resistance is. So he almost said that he wanted to just go home because he felt like <laughs> he's just starting 01 and knows that he has to basically... Uh, he can only lose one more out of their nine rounds. Otherwise, he just doesn't get his invite. Um, but then he did end up staying and playing, and he actually went eight and one in day one. So I think he's probably glad that he chose to do that. But uh, and he also admit, I think he he had a little throw on Twitter and was like, "I recognize that it's my fault, but like, wh why are these lists having to be due <laughs> the night before the tournament when no one else yeah. does this?" You know, what was the reason? Initially, it was because of VG that we got pushed to an earlier the Friday time, right? Because like they had they wanted to make sure everything ran smoothly for VG because it was the first time doing it with Scarlet well, and Violet, I believe, working it with RK9. Well, so for VG, they all have team lists that yeah. you have to print out your team list that you have to carry with you and give to your opponent every round. It would be like if we had a deck list that you had to give to your if they have open team sheets or like if we had open yeah. deck lists like you have online. So I think that was the reason initially is so they can get the team lists ready to go for in the morning. And that oh. actually did end up being a an issue for overload. I think it was at Orlando this year. Um, the, all, by the way, the other organizers, I'm pretty sure still do morning of team list submission. And then they just yeah. print them that morning. Um, but overload, I think did have an issue because their printer just died on them the morning of the tournament. And so <laughs> they have only one printer. What the heck? I, I guess I, I don't know. I don't know the exact details. I don't know the exact details. <laughs> I know that a printer died at some point or something like that. Uh, I think is what was said at least. And I think they had to go run to like FedEx and get them printed there or something like that. But they got it sorted out. The tournament was delayed a little bit because of that. But um, overall, I don't think anyone outside of that has had issues for VG having to print team lists. And um yeah, I did confirm Fresno. They close at five on Friday, but I'm pretty sure all the other events have closed at four. Um, but compare that to day two and overload who closed at eight. That's a lot more people who have the potential to like check in on Friday as opposed to Saturday. And that's something I definitely recommend. Like if you have the time to do it, you definitely should. I know there's like people who like could do it on Friday and then just like choose not to and do it on Saturday. You should definitely just go on Friday if you're like in walking distance from your hotel to the convention center. Um or you know, whatever. You should definitely go check in on Friday. It definitely makes the event run smoother for everyone involved. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to wait in a line in the on Saturday morning when you could just, you know, have just go into the event. So I recommend doing it for those who don't. But yeah, that's I mean, that's like one of the reasons that the that the the Saturday starts have been so much more so much slower because like people aren't checked in. Um there's not as many people checked in because it's cause their check in time is so short. I feel like one time they didn't even do a check-in time, but that might not be correct. But uh, but yeah, besides that, there was a long line to get into the venue, but we did end at a reasonable time. Uh, it was a small venue. I don't think we'll be going back to Fresno with how big Pokemon tournaments have gotten, how small the venue was. So I don't think that's going to be... I don't think we're going back to Fresno. So I don't think we have to worry about Fresno specifically again. And hopefully just like for a venue choices in general going into next season, hopefully they're picking bigger... Uh, bigger venues that can support support more players because most of our regionals here in America capped or re, uh, America and Canada, and yeah, we'll have like less like line problem type situations. And then hopefully Team Northwest has a longer check in time on Fridays because hopefully they learn from that because it feels like it's definitely I definitely felt the impact like 
organizer to organizer that team Northwest just felt worse going into Saturday morning. Yep. Um, but yeah, let's get to the tournament itself. And I guess we can start specifically as well with you and the group and why you chose to change decks because you did not play Kyogre for this event after playing it in Hartford, playing it in Milwaukee. You guys had a ton of success in Milwaukee, obviously with three in the top eight. Uh, in Hartford, Dane got top eight. So I, you, you guys were definitely riding high on the deck and it seemed like it was the strongest deck. And we even talked about last week on the podcast how uh, we felt like it was the best deck in the format. So if it's the best deck in the format and you guys are kind of the original innovators of it, why the change for the last regionals of this season? Uh, we just felt like the meta was going to be a little bit too hostile towards the deck. Um, and our predictions are mostly correct on that, I guess. Like... A uh, majority of the Mews had Manaphy and Lost City. Random Arceus decks and some Lugia decks also had uh, Manaphy in it in there as well. And some had Manaphy and Thornton because like the Penny versus Thornton argument is or like value is a little bit up in the air. Like there's some situations where Thornton's better than Penny. Um, they have some they do have some similar use cases of like recovering Urshifu in some way. Whether your Urshifu gets hit, you can reset it with Penny before it gets KO'd. Or with Thornton, if they actually get the KO, you know, you can bring it back. So once you add Manaphy in there, then you may as well like play the Thornton. As, so there's stuff like that. There's just like too much um, stuff going on. It was a little bit too hostile for uh, Kyogre, we felt like. And I think it was a pretty good prediction. Like, I don't even think I would have made day two. So I hit like m like two or three Mews day one, I think, with Manaphy. If I remember correctly, maybe one of them was in day two. But yeah, I don't even know if I would have made day two, to be honest. If... Uh, <laughs> if we had played Kyogre again. So I definitely preferred the more aggressive Drapion style list for sure. Yeah. So we're looking at the Kyogre list here and we will now look at the list that you guys landed on. Do you want to talk about kind of where the idea for this list came from? I mean, it's very turbo lost box. It's built yeah. to get the turn one Mirage gate when you go second and try to attack with either Raikou or Dragonite or Radiant Greninja, usually one of those three on that very first turn of the game. Yeah, so it's just a turbo build. Um, so like we still were kind of stuck on wanting to play Lost Box. We didn't really want to play any of the other top decks. Um, we had our own reasons why we didn't want to play any of the other top decks. So we were like, all right, well, what about Turbo? If we're not going to play Kyogre, it's going to be too hostile for Kyogre. What about a turbo build? And Grant had played this at the London Cup at EUIC initially. Um, and Brandon Cameraman had just done really well <clears throat> with a build. I think this is one one card off of Cameraman's list. Uh, or Brennan, not Brandon. Brennan Cameraman's list. I think this is one card different. I don't know how many cards different this is than uh, Grant's list from the London Cup at EUIC. Um, but we had knew the deck was kind of like a good deck for a while. Uh, but we just never thought it was better than Kyogre. Up until the point where like a deck is only can only be so good like until your opponent, you know, until someone starts playing like three Drapion in a deck, and then maybe it's time to put Mew down, right? It's like, so same thing with Kyogre. Like, once every deck has Manaphy and every deck has Lost Cities and stuff like that, like a deck can only be so good until the meta gets too hostile for it. And we thought like the tipping point was probably going to be Fresno or just enough to the point where it would at least be neutral playing this deck or the Kyogre deck. So we're like, okay, so to kind of caution on the safer side of things, err on the, the safer side, uh, or however you say that saying, uh, go with something, you know, go with still a Lost Box build, but just like cut out the Kyogre. And looking at Brennan Cameraman's list, I do think the one difference is Brennan had a third nest ball, and instead of that third nest ball, you guys had the one choice belt, which was kind of a last second inclusion as well. What was the reason for choice belt making its way into the deck? Uh, it's just a way for Dragonite to KO T-Tar with a V-Guard or KO an Arceus. 
Um, it's like that, that's like basically the main two reasons. You could do some weird stuff with Cram in certain situations, but that doesn't really ever come up. So basically, it's just there for Dragonite to KO Titar or uh, Anarchus because you're a little bit better of a shot against those two matchups where the Kyogre is like really strong against Arceus decks and uh, the Lugia deck. So the Choice Belt trying to help out in those matchups a little bit because I do think like the Lugia matchup is probably like unfavorable for sure and stuff like that. You want a little sure. bit, a little bit of something to work with, especially like a little bit of a surprise factor as well, right? You know, you, like your opponent thinks they're super safe, game with the choice belt play, and then who knows, maybe the game just kind of you can like take over some situations like that. Oh yeah, how many of your opponents were like definitely playing around Kyogre during? Pretty your much games? all of them. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much all of them. Everyone <laughs> thought I had Kyogre. I thought like once I played the first trekking shoes in any of my sets, people would like be like, oh okay, it's not Kyogre, but uh, yeah, pretty much everyone was playing as if I had Kyogre. I maybe at some point in day two people stopped playing as if I had Kyogre Prime, but a lot of my I hit like three mirror matches in day two, so like most of my most of my matches in day two were mirror matches. So yeah, I'm pretty much everyone thought I had Kyogre, so that was like also a nice buff as well. Like it's one of those things when you just like switch up a list or a count. The other thing that I can think of that kind of like sticks out to me this season that happened is when we played two boss in the list we played at Charlotte, I want to say, in the Lost Box list we played at Charlotte where mm -hmm. we played two boss, or when we even cut Kyogre going into, like, OCIC. I think that was the one where we cut Kyogre. Yep, Sky Sealed build. That. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, those adjustments, like, people, like, at OCIC, everyone thought I had Kyogre pretty much for, for a decent time. Um, not all the way to the finals, obviously. And then same thing with the double boss build. Like, the amount of games I won with second boss was, like, pretty high at Charlotte, so... I'm just making an adjustment like that, doing something not just out of the norm for our group, but kind of out of the norm of the meta, especially with like the double boss. And that's why you pretty consistently see like you guys won't play the exact same 60 multiple events in a row because you want to be adjusting and evolving. Now, sometimes the same 60 is just the best answer, right? Yeah. Like Hartford to Milwaukee. They didn't feel like there was enough eyes on the ogre deck, right? Dan got top eight, but that was it, right? There, like not yeah. enough. It wasn't at the forefront of people's minds, and so the meta was still ripe for Kyogre to to just kind of come through and do really well. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Like we we are changed the deck with the purpose of trying to have it not be the exact same sixty, but like it just usually naturally changes as evolves, the meta evolves yeah. and our like opinion on like what is the optimal way to actually play the deck. Well, it was still a good showing from you guys. I mean, you got 33rd, like you said. Caleb got second. Grant bubbled out of top cut. I don't know if you call it a bubble out or if people bubbled in. There was like a lot of people with 34 match points. It was 50-50. It was six of them. Okay. Three in, three out. Yeah, I don't know. You call That's pretty much neutral. Like, you can't be, like, mad that you didn't make the cut in that kind of situation for sure. So it's not like, yeah. Grant was kind of annoyed because it's like, he lost round one of day two and then won five in a row. And then did it make it, it's just not <laughs> enough, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like they should like add start adding like top 16 or asymmetrical cut. I, I would I think that would be a good fix to like because I think you should be able to go into day two, take one loss, but then still make cut if you win the rest if you're making day two. So I think if it was a top 16, that would be true. If it was asymmetrical cut, it would also fix that. I just think one of those things would be nice to add like a little bit extra. What if cushion. they put like a record number um, to get to? Like if there's, you know, it's six two one or 19 match points to get to day two. What if they just set it at 34 match I mean, points yeah. or more to get to top cut, right? Yeah, they could do something like that as well. I mean, just something, something to get a little bit of extra cushion. I don't know. Maybe an extra round would also do that, right? Um, but then we'd be pushing for like, when do you activate the extra round? It definitely wouldn't have activated at Fresno. So yeah, um, it's tough though, for sure. It's definitely tough. Well, like we said, Caleb ended up getting second, and he was defeated in the finals by Reagan Retzlov.
the Lugia with again. Lugia. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> we talked about this last week, I think, of like how many people are playing this list. And we only have the top eight from Fresno. So once we get the, all the day two results in Limitless, this this list of people who've done well with this deck. This, oh, yeah. <laughs> this meta is going to be even, even longer. Yeah, I was going to um, say, I was like, I thought it would have been, I was like, only Reagan, I guess, got a, only Reagan was playing the 60 at this. But yeah, we, they had, they aren't updated, so we don't know how many more. This could become the, because like Robin put out like an interesting tweet before Fresno, I think, kind of talking about the most decks with the most finishes on a Limitless page like this. Um, I don't remember what all of them were. It was like this deck. Ian Rob's uh, Lugia list. Ian Rob Lugia. But yeah, this one, this might surpass Ian Rob's Lugia now uh, after we get the full list of results. And actually, that's what I've been telling people too. Is like whenever someone, when anyone asks me what to play, and they always like, they was like, sure. thinking about Lost Box or Mew or Lugia, I'm just like, just play Reagan's Lugia list. <laughs> I was like, there's like a, a couple different things that I've been trying out with it, and I like recommend those. But like besides that, basically just play Reagan's Lugia. Yep. Um, this is a really good deck, really solid list. And uh, I mean, yeah, Lugia is still a very strong deck. It does have those. And uh, yeah, it's like we we mentioned at like the beginning of the cast is like it's not it doesn't have more RNG than other decks. It just feels that way because you're flipping a coin, and if you get heads, you're winning the game. If you get tails, you're losing the game. But if you just like played a card that like drew two cards, those two cards could be you winning ga game or losing the game. It just doesn't feel as bad because you're just flipping a coin. But the deck isn't actually like less consistent or more high rolling than like any of the other top decks. It just feels that way. That's because you're like. People are like letting their emotions <laughs> dictate their opinion of the of the deck based on having to flip a coin, or roll a die. So I guess we can before we go into more of the results from this tournament, just take a quick little caveat to talk about this deck in the next format, Paldea Evolved. Now Lugia, there's a few different ways people have been playing Lugia as well with the jet energies and the Snorlax, the therapy energy, those things. Tons of different ways people are trying it out. Um but Single Strike Lugia is still solid in the next format, and I think that's the one that's still kind of been the most played version, it feels like, uh, even with the other versions doing decently, too. Yeah. Or, or most successful, I should say. Maybe not most played, but... Um, I think it is the most played, the Single Strike is. Sure. So, I mean, is this a deck that it's like, you can take this list and then swap the two Judge for two Iono and just call it a day? <laughs> is that, like, all I you need to do? I think so. Yeah, probably, <laughs> to be honest. And maybe you would... Yeah, you probably want to play Ionos over Judges, but... Yeah, I think so. I think you probably would. Yeah, we saw like initially when the new stuff was coming out, we're like, okay, the new stuff is out. There's these other new ways to play Lugia. But as the formats got more and more refined, everyone just kind of got went back to and the most successful list became the single strike builds once again. So uh yeah, all the work's being done for us as far as Lugia goes over in Japan and Taiwan <laughs> so far. And it's like, yeah, they've kind of come back to the single strike being seemingly the best way to play it. Yeah, probably just add the Iono. So I don't think you're like playing super hard or anything in there. So then the deck is good to go once again. Uh, we also had Andrew Hedrick getting top four with a really straightforward and consistent Mew VMAX list. He didn't have the Manaphy in here, did have the Lost City, like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it gets more straightforward, much more straightforward than this, right? This is kind of like the optimized Mew double turbo list for this format. And uh, he also started 12 and 0 <laughs> at this yeah. tournament. And that's not the first time that he's done that this season, by the way. I think in Knoxville, he started 12 and 0 with Lugia as well. So, um, yeah, it turns out this guy's pretty good at Pokemon, huh? Yeah, Hedrick playing some really solid Pokemon again. Uh, and then who did Hedrick? Hedrick lost to Reagan yeah. in top four, right? Yeah. Yeah, Hedrick, Hedrick lost to Reagan. But yeah, Mew, I mean, yeah. And we see, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more here, but Mew seems to still be pretty good even with Peltea evolved 
uh, releasing. Um, yeah, Mew in there. There was another Mew in Top Cut as well, I believe. Um, Lee, Lee. Have the list. Yeah, Lee. And I think Lee did play the Manaphy in the Lost City. I don't know for Lee sure. didn't have Manaphy, but he oh, did no have... Um, he had Avery. It was kind of his other, like, tech card, oh. I think. For the Guardy um, matchup. Mm-hmm, I guess pretty so. against Guardy, yeah. Um, which I think was a pretty decent play. Guardy did j- jump up, like, to 17%, I think, the meta. It, like, jumped up from, like, 10 or 11 like 10 or 11 at Milwaukee up to 17, um, <clears throat> which I don't think is like a, I think that's like a, <laughs> it is mostly because Henry won, obviously, but I don't think it was like a calculated uh, increase in play. Like, I don't think it was smart that a lot of, that that many people picked up a uh, Guardy personally, but. Um, oh, there was yeah, also yeah, an no incident that we can talk about, I guess, uh, with Lee's top eight match on stream. He played against Andrew Hedrick. Um I don't know if you've seen much of the discussion around this. But I did Lee, read it earlier, but go ahead. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead so Lee down. got a game or a double prize penalty going into game two. He lost a pretty long game one that was back and forth. It was pretty close. Andrew was kind of ahead the whole time, but Lee had a very real chance to win. It came down to the end of the game where he had Roxanne plus used his fan of waves, which is not really in there for the Ooh. Mew matchup, but it was pretty good in this spot because he put the double turbo on the bottom of the deck. And Hedrick, the last turn, had just lost vacuumed away a double turbo. So he only had one double turbo left in the deck, and he needed um, DTE to win to just be able to attack. Um, Lee did whiff, like, the VMAX, I think, to attack with a clean Mew that turn. So it was, like, literally all Hedrick needed was the double turbo energy. But Path was in play. Um, and I think Lee had actually just judged. It was, like, Roxanne the previous turn and then Judge fan of waves something like that the next turn um if i'm i'm just trying to remember off the uh (laughs) the top of my head and then hedrick did doug he he got the lost vacuum off the judge and then did eventually hit the one double turbo that was left but it was really really close so you're going into game number two lee is going to get to go first he's going to be an advantage in the mirror match he's setting out his prize cards for the stream and one of his prize cards gets flipped over to the raised edge of the prize card camera the card gets revealed totally unintentional not something he meant to do but whenever a card gets revealed in the pokemon tcg and they seem to enforce it extra hard whenever it happens on stream it leads to a double prize penalty and in the mew matchup specifically being down two prizes in that mirror is, <laughs> is pretty much a game loss right yeah it's pretty tough because then you don't even get roxanne you don't even get access exactly. to roxanne your opponent which is huge so you don't even have like the comeback uh, and even when you're ahead, you're not truly ahead either. So yeah, it's pretty tough uh, to make it come. Out. That kind of sucks. I don't think those kind of things should be double prize penalties. I think like it should scale though. Like you shouldn't be able to like you shouldn't sit, be able to sit there and three games in a row flip over a prize card. It should be the first one should just be like okay, a warning, and then it should scale from there. It should be like warning, double prize penalty, sure. But I think it should like scale. I've always talked about this. I think it should scale like warning, warning, game loss, match loss. Uh, maybe you go to a DQ at that point. I don't know. I haven't really thought that far ahead. Maybe match loss, match loss DQ. But I think it should be like double prize penalties are kind of silly, <clears throat> and I think it like those kind of situations shouldn't be penalized with like a, a an effective game loss, right? Like a double prize penalty is almost always a game loss, uh, like almost 100 percent of the time. But like in those situations, it's just yeah, it's like obviously an accident, not that big of a deal. And if Lee doesn't have any like prior uh, prior stuff yeah. in the tournament or just kind of like a, a bad track record i don't know how like how how well they carry over like warnings tournament to tournament i think there is some database for it but i actually don't know for sure 
Um, so if Lee doesn't have a ton of priors, which I'm pretty sure Lee doesn't, especially in that tournament specifically, probably also didn't, then it should just be, okay, a warning this time. But if you do it again, I think at that point, maybe it is reasonable to, 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 to deal out a two-price penalty. I would like to see it just kind of scale up to game losses, like warning, warning, game loss, like I mentioned. But yeah, I don't know. It just feels like, especially on stream, it's like, it, it literally just ruins. Like, who wants to watch that game at that point? It's like, well, okay, I guess Lee loses. Like, it, it takes all the excitement and fun out of, like, the experience of watching the game. So I think they really need to revisit the double prize penalty and kind of the warning uh, and penalty system in the Pokemon TCG, hopefully going into next season. But if not next season, maybe midway through next season. But I think they really need to revisit it. Because I, I think it's like these two prize penalties are given out way too aggressively for things that are obviously accidents. Uh, and the one thing I like to kind of uh, kind of top that all off with as well, to kind of give a better perspective of a real, we are in a competition, but we're not like in the MLB of Pokemon right it's not like you have only the best players playing against the only the best players who should all know better in certain situations and stuff like that you've got like t-ball to mlb right um so i don't think we should be giving out the same and now i know like lee is a little bit more seasoned of a player um but i think because we are in a in a situation where it is t-ball to mlb as far as the pokemon tcg goes where you got like you know people who it's their first tournament first time picking up a pokemon deck even sometimes and then you have people who've been playing for like 10 years plus like me like i think we can it doesn't have to be like super try hard rulings in these kind of situations and i think there should be a little bit more lenience at least until they've built up a track record throughout the tournament and i don't know where they for sure where the breaking point for that is where it should scale into game losses match losses and so on but i think they really need to revisit the the system because it's just really bad and we saw we saw it earlier this year with rahul as well right yeah it was i see where it felt really bad and then watching the game at that point it just it just ruined it killed the vibe like who wants to watch that game anymore at that point yeah i uh, i totally agree and um <clears throat> It, it really does. It's it just makes for a worse viewing experience, and that that's something so that they're really gonna, trying to focus on. Like they time. want this game to be, like, they want more people to be watching and more people yeah. tuning in. And our the regional stream numbers have like gotten bigger pretty steadily over the year. Like more and more people are tuning in, um, which is great to see the growth from it. But stuff like this, when when we only get to feature one match out of the four top eight matches happening, and then it gets decided like that, it definitely feels just tough right yeah one last thing i'll put out there so it's, it is more jarring and once again a good example of this would be cameron chinoy when i played against cameron at ocic it's it's just you're out of your element playing on stream it's jarring like mistakes are almost like and that kind of makes sense why so many mistakes happen on stream because they're just more likely to happen you're so much out of your comfort zone and especially for like newer players who get up on there sometimes like you're so out of your comfort zone like that's why mistakes happen so often on stream i feel like it's just it's, you're not used to playing in that kind of atmosphere um, a lot more stress pressure whatever um of course there's a lot of backseaters out there who will claim otherwise and that but yeah just ignore them but that's like another thing as well right and i don't know i feel like there's no i don't even know not lenience but like no nuance given to that that kind of yeah. development of that situation and once again like it's like i said it's we're playing in tournaments that they are competitions uh there should be some kind of rules and guidelines but like i said it's t-ball to mlb we're not just playing mlb at that point it could be a little bit more understanding for certain things but when it is t-ball to mlb i feel like the rules don't need to be ridiculously ultra competitive strict and there can be some more um i don't know i just feel like things are too harsh right now i guess that will kind of end my my rant feels bad for lee um but yeah hopefully i mean i think it's something that i hopefully they re just visit in the future hopefully next season but you never know 
So going back through the top eight of this tournament, Cal Connor did make top four. Like we mentioned, he was playing Gardevoir. Um, Henry Brand was also at this tournament. He ended up in the top 32. I'm pretty sure didn't quite get into Close. Uh, the top eight again. Yeah. Lost his winning in. Um, but yeah, Cal made it in with the Guardy, and he had a couple interesting things here. He did choose to play Clara instead of Miriam, which is what most people have gone with, which I think I'm a pretty big fan of um, after Puka's tweet last week where he's like, I just don't understand why people play Miriam because most of the time when you're playing Miriam in your Gardevoir deck, you're putting cards back that you're crossing your fingers you draw into when you draw three cards. So why not just play Clara and put them directly into your hand? Oh, it makes yeah. sense to me. Cal seemed to agree. And then Cal also had the uh, the Drapion V in here as well for the Mew matchup. Yeah, the Drapion's cool. I actually really like that. I think it's a good uh, idea for a tech card there from Cal. Kind of making the, the judgment call on Mew's going to be more popular. Like maybe making that that kind of like, it's like, all right, Mew players playing Lost City, playing Manaphy, that beats Kyogre. Okay, if they're going to do that, you know, that's going to hurt the, the Lost Box players. But I want to be able to keep up with the Mew players consistently. Guardi already has like a fine Mew matchup. And I would even say that Guardi's Mew matchup is favorable. But even when you have a favorable matchup, you can still lose, right? Let's say Guardi's matchup against Mew is like 55 or 60%. But if you can make it like an 80, 90% win rate, if yeah. you play against enough of them, it makes it worth it to like overtech for a matchup, right? It's all about your expected win rate at the tournament. And especially and if, if it's it, expected to be a high percentage yeah, of the meta too, right? Exactly, yeah. And good players playing it, right? Which is also mm -hmm. maybe a good prediction there from Cal. So I like the Drapion. I would say like the one comment I'll make on the Miriam is like the same reason to like play Serena over a second boss. You never want to use Serena as your draw supporter. You never want to use Miriam, Miriam as your draw supporter. The only argument for Clara is being some kind of draw support is you can recover energy and then Greninja it away. But most of the time, you'll have access to an energy to be able to do that with Greninja. So it's just like that little bit of extra. We even saw it in the finals match of That's Henry true. versus uh, Caleb, where Henry used Pokestop, discarded a Pokemon, and then Miriamed the Pokemon back into the deck to actually be able to draw cards that turn and then set up from there, right? So it's just that little bit extra. So I think it's pretty close. A lot of the time when you play the Miriam, the, Pokemon, the deck already has so many Pokemon search cards and sees so many cards, you'll probably draw into the Pokemon you really need. And it's not one of those situations where it's like it's a one of, like every Pokemon in this deck is a two of. Because like you're usually, the only one that's like a, a one of is like the Cresselia, but you usually never need to really recover the Cresselia um, like that. You know, like you don't need back-to-back -back Cresselias. And you have two Shiny Arcanos, you have two Zacians, you have two Guardi EX. So you already are pretty aggressive. You already have like a decent amount of outs to like that sure. secondary Pokemon. And then I think the most unique deck for sure in the top yeah. eight, kind of the talk of the town, was David Tomhave Alexi with the Turbo Darkrai V-Star. This one was really cool. We featured it on stream in the first round stream day two. And yeah, it's I mean, it is all gas. It's just trying to get through the deck. And uh, I think I'll pull up his Pokestats live. This definitely helped David is if you look at his day two run. He played it out in round nine, by the way, was six and two. I don't know if it was him or his opponent that chose to play it out, but played it out, got the win, and then hit Mew, Lost Box, Mew, 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 and Mew to, <laughs> to go 5-0-1 in day number two. I mean, <laughs> I, that's like, the, Mew. <laughs> that's the plus side of the variance right there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, see, that is like, that. Reagan is not running hot with uh lugia three times in a row but i think hitting five muse in day two <laughs> playing turbo dark is the that's a little bit of the the good variance there because yeah i don't think like i don't think anyone's gonna 
no one thinks Darkrai is a good deck after this, right? I, I, don't, I don't know how good David actually even thinks the deck is, right? The deck is still probably a pretty mid deck overall. So cool to see, right? It's always cool to see these these uh, off brand decks uh, rise to the top sometimes, or off meta decks rise to the top sometimes. And it is cool to kind of see how far you can push a deck, you know, because no matter how bad um a deck is it can still be there's still a maximum right there's still a capacity for how could how good it is in the meta right and this might be it here for turbo dark right or close to it i'd have to imagine yeah so i'm not i'm not going to be testing uh dark vsar personally going into paldea evolved uh but it's always cool to see rest of them on the top eight of course um and yeah it's always cool to see like those those uh unique decks kind of pop up which you saw another one of those actually with the uh another top eight deck that was pretty off meta now this one was kind of getting established heading into the tournament though because there was uh was christian got on stream with this at milwaukee um and it's this arceus clef kind of just like anti-meta deck right is that what you'd call it aerodactyl it's just anti-meta i guess i feel like it's the better way to best way to put this one yeah this feels less like anti-meta and more of just like a lock deck right just like a general kind of yeah i, I don't know i mean you could kind of that's kind of just semantics there, which one you want to classify it as more, but um, yeah, it, it's, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's pretty much just whatever I'm going up against, they're not going to be able to use their abilities. If I'm going lost <laughs> box, we've got our cleft keys. That's going to slow them down. If I'm going up against Mew or Lugia, I've got path and Aerodactyl. Um, and that's like, I mean, really what it comes down to just use that ancient star, make it so they can't really do much of anything. And then attack with Arceus attack with Aerodactyl even. Yeah. That's uh, like your lock, big key. Aerodactyl is like a up. really solid attacker. And with a double turbo energy, it KOs all basic V's pretty much. Yeah. Um, except for Lugia, which does resist the, the fighting um, and Dragonite, I guess as well. Yeah. That's a good point, but no, no, it gets the KO and Dragonite. Yeah. That's the, well, I was saying with a double turbo energy, but yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay, I'm picking up. So it does 220 <laughs> with the yeah, double yeah. turbo still. Yeah. Usually you're loading it up with Arcus. You're usually getting that Fair. 240. Still doesn't KO the Lugia, though. The Lugia still survives. Lugia V, the ultimate counter to Aerodactyl <laughs> Arceus. <laughs> yeah, and then they go read the wind, and then you lost dive again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so kind of just like, a, yeah, like ability lock. Like, it's just trying to, like, and it can do it against most of my... A really cool combo that I actually didn't realize that I could do is, like, if you have Klefki in the active... And then, actually, is that how that works? I'm pretty, pretty sure that's how that works. If you have Klefki in the active with Path in play, they can't Pump Kaboo, right? Because the Klefki stops the Pump Kaboo. Yeah. Yeah, so they need to draw into like one of their raw stadiums. So it's like another way to slow Lugia down early until you get to your Aerodactyl to fully take away their abilities. We saw Makani, who's always a Arc Pile piloter, playing a similar deck. It was like Arc. I don't think he had the Klefkis. No yeah. Klefkis. Um, and was like a little bit like uh to the max to try and beat lugia had like the yvitol in there that removes special energy from play so after you get off the aerodactyl play just in case they hit like back-to-back -back double turbos with their lugia and then punch your aerodactyl and can threaten the boss you can go on the next turn and use yvitol and just remove their energy from play and just completely lock them even if they get fortunate enough to draw like that combo of the double double turbo or you know three oh attachments gosh. that are swinging on it i was gonna pull um, up makani's deck list but look at this this is what he tweeted for his deck list there's a mawile in there too there's a lot of things. Yeah, there's a lot of things, but you can't tell what's happening because it's he just nope. shuffled it and then laid it out. So there you go. I wonder what like what match with the Mawiles. I still been seeing people play Mawile in Sable's art, but like every Lugia player plays an out, and every Guardian yeah. player still plays Penny. I just don't get the point of playing Mawile anymore. I guess they could the... burn it. 
at some point and then you can take advantage of it but it's so niche i feel like i mean it is a one card inclusion that like you can potentially just win a game with right in the right scenario So maybe it's worth it, but well, I mean, Piper, Piper got top 32 out. with Sables Art, and she still played them all while as That's well. That's where I saw it. Yeah, Piper had them all while. That's why I saw it was in Piper's list. But yeah, it's just, it just feels so bad. I don't know. I think it's bad. Because <laughs> then you also have to play like the Pidgey so you don't deck out first. We didn't even see the – there's no there's no deck out way to not deck out in – see, this is a nice deck list layout. Not the <laughs> Piper. Uh, thumbs down on Makani. Thumbs up for <laughs> Piper. This is how you lay out a deck list. This is a pretty nice layout. I like this layout. Um, Seems solid. Mm-hmm. Did have the Defiance band in here. This was another cool list in day two. You had talked about how uh, you felt like Sablezard was like pretty decent going into the tournament this coming weekend. Uh, Piper, I think, was the best finishing one. I think Sablezard has been pretty live. decent for pretty much like every tournament in this meta. It's just not good enough. It's not. Yeah, I just don't think the deck is good enough. It's not. It doesn't make any sense to play Sablezard. I think still over any other Lost Box build, which is weird because they are different decks. So like, how do you even like? qualify that like is it just like a bad deck at that point then like i don't even know how to like think about sables are in terms of that because you should it really be compared to being like oh well if like lost box or if mirage gates lost box is like theoretically better in the meta should you just never consider playing sables are but they're not really the same deck they're pretty close though i don't know i guess just because they're both lost zone decks that play almost all the same attackers it just feels that way sure i'm not sure about that one well i think that's going to cover everything from the top cut of Fresno. We might talk more about day two next week if all the decks get released, but We're honestly... We're not talking about day two. How they evolves out. <laughs> it's the end of the format, so... One thing know, we hopefully will have more results How did this format from? feel to you overall, looking back at it now? Um, I mean, especially we were coming off of one of the one of your least favorite formats of all time, the, the, uh, the Silver Tempest format. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, uh, how did this I one compare? Um, it's better, but... Just because there's not like a tier S broken deck. A lot of really good decks have their strengths. Like Lugia is good, Mew's evolved. good, Lost Box is good, Guardi's good, like a bunch of good decks. Arc Pile is still a thing, which is a good thing as well. You know, just a lot of good decks throughout. So yeah, it's just, I don't know, just a fun meta. I think it's solid um, for sure. Um, so yeah, Fresno it's just more was enjoyable not the, than last meta. Fresno was not the, uh, the only tournament this weekend. There was the special event in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're not going to really talk about that one because uh, there's only a couple lists on Limitless for it. But there was also the Japan Championships that took place. It's basically like Japan's Nationals, the biggest tournament besides yeah. the World Championships taking place in Japan. And we don't have the full results from the tournament on Limitless yet. I'm assuming Robin is going to try to like compile and get that information I think I saw a tweet from the list earlier that they're working it'll be yeah. up eventually but we do at least have the top two decks so we'll we'll definitely this is one that we'll definitely come back and talk more about in future weeks if we get more information but we did want to take just a minute to at least look at these top two decks that we have um and the tournament was won by fusion mew so even with spiritum being legal, was being played. a card, and was played in the second place Gardevoir deck, Fusion Mew found a way. And it's in large part because of the interaction with Spiritomb and the Fusion Strike energy, right? Uh, Spiritomb is an ability that says that Pokemon, basic Pokemon V in play can't use their abilities, but Fusion Strike energy says the Pokemon this card is attached to isn't affected by the effects of your opponent's Pokemon's abilities, so you can still Fusion Strike system if you put a fusion strike energy on your genesect yeah so i don't know if that makes it worth it to play mew in the next format 
it might. One of the it things may, I think it is, does pretty much mean you have to play Fusion Mew. Yeah, right? you basically. Well, I mean, if no one plays Spiritomb, but you of could course, be at a game yeah. of you know, like what would we call it? a game of cat and mouse or game of chicken, right? You're gonna play game Spiritomb. Game of Karen versus Night March. Yeah, Karen versus Night March. Um, I mean, I think one of the reasons that Mew has seen more success over in Japan because it is best of one. So these Fusion Mew decks being able to pop off game one, just donk something, and then take over the game from there is like a lot more probable, right? Uh, day two was um, best of three, though. Is it best out of three? Mm-hmm, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I watched some of it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so day two is best out of three. Um, I say like takes away some of my my statement then though. Not as a uh, yeah. So I mean I don't and we've seen Fusion View actually doing well in other tournaments in Japan as well. Um, so if day twos are generally best out of three, I mean I guess there's no argument there for that. Maybe it is just good. It seems, but also like I mean this like Mew Guardians already like feels good into Mew. Uh, and it feels even better into Fusion Mew generally because they have like less paths and stuff, right? Less control. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't say I'm definitely not sold on this Fusion Mew shenanigans for sure. I'm not sold on it, especially with Guardian potentially being or definitely being like the best second format next uh, next set release with about they evolved. Um, yeah, I'm not so, I'm not sold on these Fusion Mew shenanigans yet. Like I just feel like there's no way that with Spirit Tomb in the format that it makes any sense, even though you do have an out to it, that it makes any sense to be playing mew anymore uh i do want to talk about probably the most unique card in this fusion mew list it definitely sticks out like a sore thumb amongst the psychic pokemon (laughs) is the blue ice q fusion strike ice q it's got the block slider attack for a water and a colorless this attack does 40 damage to one of your opponent's pokemon for each fusion strike energy attached to all of your pokemon um what do you think this is in here for azul probably to snipe spear tomb yeah that's just <laughs> yeah it, you huh? probably just it, it does it only to one pokemon though right yes yes okay someone was telling me at the tournament when like uh it, we figured out who won that like you could split the 40s no i don't think you can it's actually not the first time i the ice has been played in the mu deck i think kaya played it at some european event uh so i've seen it before i've seen the ice in the mu deck before over in europe <clears throat> i think kaya was running it um but yeah, I, that's got to be the that's the only thing I think of. It's like you just want to like turn one or turn two, be able to snipe the spirit tomb off the bench, so you can regain access to your abilities. But even then, like I was saying, like it feels like going that far out of your way to deal with spirit tomb is like putting you so far behind deck building wise. Uh, I mean, it, kind of it is probably a card that comes up elsewhere, right? Like oh, against, yeah, like I'm sure you against can use the stage two deck like Gardevoir, right? I mean, you can go Judge or Iono plus snipe down a Curlia, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously they do have Manaphy, right? But they don't always I don't, get it. I mean, I mean maybe yeah. also also <laughs> typically best of one. Are you going out of your way to bench Manaphy against a Mew deck? And it's I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm kind of like hating on all the cheesy stuff that did well this weekend. I'm just like not comp- the Dark Ride deck, the Turbo Dark deck, <laughs> this the Ice Q and the Fusion. I'm just like I don't know. It doesn't seem that. Like... <laughs> listen though like who's benching manaphy against the mudek right <laughs> i mean he's the best two out of three once they see your well, ice in cube, day I'm... two in day two i think day yeah, one was yeah. still best of best of one yeah i mean i don't even know that's two bench bases at that point are you just losing based on not having enough curly in play at that point i think it'd be an argument for sure but i think you just give them like you you bench spirit tomb you let them do the ice cube play if they can pull it off under spirit tomb and then i don't know i feel like you're trucking them from there so i'm not too worried about it um so yeah i have to see this fusion shenanigans like make this thing has to be like i have to see it myself still not convinced it has been doing well like i said did win here this is japan nationals 
you know, this is their biggest event. Uh, besides Worlds, will be there, of course, this year. So that'll be the biggest event in Japan uh, after this. But we did see it pop up in like the top 16s, I think, at some of the other or the last big tournament in Japan as well, where Spiritomb was legal. So obviously, it's still being able to compete over there. I just still, I'm still not convinced. I have to see it myself. I have to experience it to believe it. And then the second place list was Gardevoir. Um, pack in probably the, th- well, three of the four biggest cards for the deck in this list. The Iono, the Super Odd, the Artisan. This list does not play any copies of Reversal Energy. Yeah, um, That's typically something we've seen be just a consistent one of. Choosing not to play it here. Also has the one Mirage Step Curlia, which is pretty much... I don't think I've seen since like the very beginning of the Scarlet and Violet format. I feel like everyone's kind of dropped the Mirage yeah, Step I, Curlia. I feel like it gets worse with Super Odd because like you don't need to as aggressively as that many options through your Guard Wars. They are playing a little bit heavier over a candy count. Yeah, like this list is just super straightforward, right? Like last tournament that we saw, the Guard War list, I think was the one in Taiwan. Everyone had like the reversal energy. There was like the quad reversal energy build that got second yeah um, but now we see this list super straightforward just trying to be consistent which is usually a pretty big strength in not just new not just the first couple tournaments in a format but just kind of in general can kind of be pretty strong from there yeah as we see it not no surprise to see a kind of a guardy deck in the finals which guardian i don't think has w- missed the finals yet in paldea format um or are effective Paldea on format. I don't think Guardi has missed a finals appearance yet. I think it's been in every finals of every major tournament so far. Someone yeah. correct me in the comments comments if they're if I'm wrong on that. But since it's gotten Iono and Super Rod, I don't think it's missed the finals yet. Yeah, definitely the two biggest ones. And we mentioned last week, like Super Rod is kind of sneakily the most impactful of the cards. I think Iono's the most impactful, but yeah, like Super Rod is I don't know how good Iono would be if you didn't have Super Rod though, right? Like you can't Maybe, yeah disrupt them and recover so like i mean this them together in guard war is just like a blessing it's just like makes the deck so good well we'll talk more about the japan championships next week or maybe the week after depending on when the rest of the results get uploaded but we figured we'd just at least mention those since we do have those two lists available well, even when spiritum hanging around mew doesn't feel <laughs> like it's going anywhere um and then one more little note or little story I guess we can cover quickly before we get into Guess That Flavor Text is a new series coming to the Pokemon TCG website called How Do You Play? A Pokemon TCG documentary series announced, and it is going to be streaming tomorrow, a three-part documentary series about the Pokemon TCG community. It's called How Do You Play? And it follows a teacher, a longtime Pokemon fan, a fan, and a family. Episode one will debut on the official website tomorrow, followed by episodes two and three the following two days. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. They've been then doing, I mean, this made me think, I'm definitely going to watch it. I'll probably watch it on stream, to be honest. Like, I'll be able to react to that live, right? That's fair use, right? I'm not going to (laughs) get Better to ask forgiveness than permission, you know? I mean, that's what all the top streamers do on Twitch. So I think I just react to (laughs) stuff, so it should be good. (laughs) So I'll probably react to these as they come out um and watch them i was actually curious if i like maybe knew anyone in this um thing they're doing but if it's the if the people in it are the people in the image i don't think i recognize any of them yeah. so i'm definitely curious to, to check it out give it a watch it did kind of make me think about all of the other pokemon uh documentary stuff we've seen them filming over the last couple seasons that we that has not come out yet like i've done some interviews with them before i think my pre-COVID stuff that I was working on Pokemon with is just never coming out at this point. So 
because they like interviewed me a couple times for something, but I don't think that's ever going to be a be a thing anymore. So uh, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, definitely curious to see this and then uh, check it out uh, for sure. Yeah, looking forward to checking it out. Like we said, it, it comes out today, the day that this episode yeah. is airing. So um, yeah, maybe we'll talk about it next week. All three episodes will have been out next week, so we can give kind of our reactions to it. And um, really, like this is just good to see, right? The fact that the Pokemon Company is investing resources into getting people interested in playing the Pokemon TCG. And that's what this yeah. ultimately does, right? It, this is going to be a more mainline thing, like people who are not... In, this is not something that is for the people in the competitive Pokemon TCG community, right? This is something just for Pokemon fans to check out and enjoy and... Maybe this will accomplish the goal of, you know, getting more people involved in the TCG community, right? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny if you roll down, scroll down to the comments on the on the Poke Beach thing. The first comment is, uh, this is nice. I love when Pokemon uh, uh, represents the TCG as more than just collecting. And the second comment is like, it is, uh, it is fascinating that the Pokemon TCG is probably the only tabletop game out there that needs to actively encourage their players to play with the items they're playing. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, so that, that's kind of funny. But yeah, I guess I don't I don't feel like it doesn't need to be encouraged. The game's been exploding the last couple of You didn't want to read right, the third comment? I didn't actually read it. What was the third one? I hope it we get says, a I hope we get a murder scene. <laughs> what? <laughs> Someone um, check on Beware the Terrible on Poke Beach, man. Yeah, but I'm I'm cool to see what it what it's like and what it is. I'm just definitely interested. Like I said, I'm probably just watching it on the stream mm-hmm. uh, throughout it's the week thing, as they release. Uh, another bit of TCG content you can do yeah. that does not involve you playing TCG Live. So I'm sure you'll yes. be happy to take advantage Super of that. Excited. As long as I possibly can, I'm kind of like I'm probably gonna watch the J- the Japan Championships on stream. We'll watch these on stream. Just gotta keep milking it for as long as I possibly can <laughs> until I actually have to load up live and actually start playing games of Paldea Evolved because there's nothing else to really do or talk about. And I do want to play with the Paldea Evolved cards. I just don't want to play on live. And I've been seeing so many posts on Twitter. And it doesn't seem like it's like every single game people are running into bugs, but it does seem like maybe one of every five games or something like that, which is like, that sounds like a miserable experience. So not loving the idea of playing games on live, but I am, I do like the idea of playing with a Paldea Evolved. So I'm kind of conflicted here. Well, before we get into guess that flavor text, we do got to give a huge thanks to the sponsor of our podcast, Dragon Shield. So huge thanks as always to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor of the Uncommon Energy podcast. Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products, accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so much more. Azul, what did you rock this weekend as far as sleeves go? uh i want two different pairs i got the blood reds again i've been rocking those a lot recently and then i, like I went went to the the greens just green just green. Uh, matte i think green. it's just yeah i think it's just yeah the matte greens and then, like i said the basic colors feel really good and the greens felt really really good um so i don't know i feel like the, the ones that are literally just like the basic base color ones you know blood red a little bit too it's like a little bit fancier uh but the, yeah the base the base color ones just feel really really good so yeah, they be trying to go to more though, using more of those in the future. I feel like. Yeah, they sent me a, um, like a coupon code to go onto the website to buy some, some sleeves, and I literally just bought a case of b- matte blacks. <laughs> like that's been my go-to <laughs> forever. It's literally the yeah. most plain sleeve you can get, just matte black, 
but they're some of the best. They're my go-tos. I've used the matte blacks for years before we were even sponsored by Dragon Shield. So um happy to get a fresh case of those in. That's what my my cube is sleeved in as well. So I'll have some boxes of that to replace some sleeves on the cube if necessary. So yeah, happy to get some more of those in. Yeah, so big shout out to Dragon Shield as always. Um go check them out. Dragonshield.com slash webshop slash EU or US, depending on where you're located. And as always, they're available everywhere. Local game stores. Big box retails, big box retailers, you name it, they are there. And with that, we will be jumping into Guess That Flavor Text. Chip, it is my week to pick a flavor text for you. Uh, the way this works for anyone who's new here is <clears throat> one of us will pick a card and move the flavor, flavor text on that card. And then it'll be up to the other host to try and guess which Pokemon that flavor text belongs to. And then there are three lifelines you can use if you want. If you guess it without using a lifeline, you get four points. And then for each lifeline you lose, you use, you lose a point. What set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then read the attack name on the card. Chip, are you ready? I picked a pretty hard one this week. A hard one? See. Oh, this yeah. getting competitive. He's trying this to get back in it. This might be the hardest flavor text we have ever had. Are you ready? All right, I guess. They strengthen their lower bodies by running into one another. They are very kind and won't start fights. Strengthen their lower bodies by running into one another. Very kind and won't start fights. Well, I mean, my first instinct is a fighting type Pokemon. Even though it doesn't start fights, it's strengthening its body. It's training. It's trying to get stronger, which is on brand for a fighting type Pokemon, right? So that would be kind of my first thought. And I mean, any I remember like in the Pokemon cartoon and then like in the video games, Machoke being a Pokemon that, you know, is always working or working out. Um, but that doesn't strengthens its lower body. So like that makes me also think that it's a Pokemon that has like a prominent lower body as well. Like that's like a bigger part of the Pokemon is its lower body, like Metacham or something like that. This definitely does not sound like a Metacham flavor text, though. I'm going to use some lifelines here. Let's Metacham start does with... Have legs. Huh? Metacham does have some, some quads. For sure. <laughs> yes, Metacham has some legs. Uh, let's go with what set the card is from. It is from Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Okay. So, I don't think there's a Machoke line. There is... Not a Metacham in Breakthrough. Hmm. I opened up a ton. Like, Breakthrough was, like, when I first was playing the Pokemon TCG. So I was buying a ton of packs. So I opened up a lot of the Breakthrough set. So I feel like I know a lot of the Pokemon in it. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Read and Attack Name. Let me do that first. Tackle. Bro, come on. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Tackle? Really? That's all you're going to give me? Well, that definitely sounds like just like some basic Pokemon attack. So I don't even want to use the stage the card is. I mean, it could be a... Uh, it could be an evolution Pokemon, I guess. Um, strengthens its lower body. So what are some of the good cards in Breakthrough? There's like the Gallade um zoark was really good from breakthrough breakthrough was a super super good set there's that empoleon that's in breakthrough that was pretty decent at one point um 
it actually wasn't even that good, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of trying to stall here a little bit. I think there's a, I can like picture the fighting Pokemon from the set. And there's like a, there's like a pan cham in the set. I'm pretty sure. Would you give me a pan cham when I just gave you a pan cham? That could be the move. Back to back pans. It was a few weeks ago though. Almost um, back to back pans. Yeah, I think I do need to make a guess here. I mean, there also could be Chespin. There is a Chespin in Breakthrough, and I gave you that a few weeks ago. Um, sure. Running into each other. Yeah, I really don't know. I don't love this guess, but I think I'm going to just go. I don't think that what stage the card is is going to help me. I'm pretty sure it's a basic. Uh, so I'll just go with Panjam. It is not Panjam. Wait, 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 wait. I don't get it. Is it is it Doduo? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> the last uh, lifeline was it is a stage one Pokemon. Uh, uh, and on top of that. Is it Pangoro? No, it belongs to the most hated, least relevant starter evolution line ever. It evolves. Will it uh, in? From, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was almost this... on on it with the chest pin. This Dang. artwork looks like a mascot. It looks like there's a human in the cost in a, in a mascot costume. <laughs> a, yeah. a super irrelevant Pokemon that no one would think of. And the flavor text has like nothing to do with anything besides being some type of uh, I literally I, said Chespin too. I, I know. Knew... How do you ever get to quill it in from Chespin? I mean, if I asked what stage it was, H? I might have. I mean, I would have gone with either Pangoro or Quilladin. Yeah. It's just such a weird flavor text. They strengthen their lower bodies by running into this thing. One. Barely has a lower body. <laughs> well, that's why they got to strengthen it. Bro. Mostly upper body. Definitely skipping leg day. Quilladin is. He kind of looks like uh, you as well. No, I don't think so. He's got the uh, yeah, the the smile, the, the blank <laughs> stare. <laughs> All right, and hey, with that... let us know down below if you see the resemblance. Azul Quilladin. <laughs> I think it's What's there. the other I one? It's there. Simis the <laughs> Bro, the Simisier is you. I don't care what anyone says. That is Azul <laughs> GG right there. <laughs> It does kind of look like Quilladin, you're right. <laughs> um, but let's move on to our, our last topic for the uh, uh, the podcast before we get to the bonus episode, of course. Uh, and that is talking about Pokemon finally making a statement after their statement talking about making statements. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So a few months ago after the situation with makani in charlotte at the charlotte regional championships pokemon did put a statement out over on their twitter saying that they were going to um what was i going to say i want to just read the one spot oh we're investigating the most effective ways to keep the community informed about significant changes and incidents concerning play pokemon activities because previous like to this they didn't tell us anything, right? It was yeah. just kind of like they swept it under the rug. The community got to talk about it. They would maybe do their own internal investigations, but 
we would never hear anything about it. We wouldn't know any of those things were even necessarily uh, happening or not happening. But uh, for those who remember, there was a pretty big incident in Hartford after Rowan Stavenow won the tournament. A video surfaced online of his friends shaving a hate symbol into the side of his head. We talked about it on the podcast when it happened. But now Pokemon's come out and actually made a statement around the situation. Now, it is pretty vague. So if you didn't know what this statement was about, you would have no idea what they're talking about. But I'll just read the statement real quick, Azul, and then we can go through um, our thoughts on the situation and on the fact that Pokemon even said something. So first off, the post comes from TPCI underscore some ducks administrator. (laughs) We are aware of a player accused of egregious behavior that falls well outside of the expectations for the play Pokemon community. Our investigation into this incident has resulted in the following conclusions. One, the player in question did not take an active role in what led to the accusation. Two, other persons, both from the player community and the peer group of the accused player, were determined to be responsible for the content that led to the accusation. And three, other persons from within the player community published the content and presented it publicly in a way intended to inflict damage upon the accused party. Currently, our findings do not support taking any disciplinary action against the accused player. Should more information come to light, we reserve the right to update our our decision accordingly. Following an additional investigation, those who created the content and used against the accused player may face long-term disciplinary consequences from the play program. Pokemon believes in creating a safe and inviting space for all our players. We take these matters seriously, and we encourage all players to continue reporting any issues or incidents to us directly at support.pokemon.com. We want to reiterate that this behavior and symbols of hate do not align with our core values or the play Pokemon standards of conduct. We are committed to fostering an environment that is inclusive to all participants, regardless of factors, including but not limited to age, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, and or disability. Thank you to our community for continuing or sorry for being invested in keeping the play Pokemon program safe and inclusive for all fans. <clears throat> yeah, so I think it's really good that they actually I didn't really read through everything that thoroughly the last time I read through it all, but it sounds like um number two, other persons both from the player community and the peer group of the accused they were determined to be responsible for the content that led to the accusation. So it sounds like um the people stepped forward and said like it wasn't Rowan's fault outside of uh Rowan's like post that they made on Twitter, right? Am yeah. I reading that correctly? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, based on Pokemon's investigation, what they were able to find and what their ultimate conclusion was is that Rowan was not at fault in this situation. Yeah. And is and it also, I mean, very clearly does say um currently our findings do not support taking any disciplinary action against the accused player. So to me, I mean, this statement says in the minds of Pokemon, Rowan's all clear, all good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely if something like came up similar again, they'd probably be like, all right, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, like there's a pattern here, right? But of course, um, I don't think that's probably going to happen. And yeah, it sounds like Rowan's in the clear for now. And there might be some disciplinary action towards the other parties involved. 
Um, but this is really good that they made a statement like this, right? I think everyone is like super happy to see Pokemon doing this. Um, I think there's still some other steps they could take further. I don't know about not naming anyone. I think that's probably fine. If you well, yeah. Z, like we're in the know, so we know everyone they're referencing by not naming anyone. So I don't know how I feel about that. Like, should they name people? Should they not? I actually don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. I would like to like I'd definitely be interested in some takes on that in the comment yeah. section. I if wonder if has any opinions. On I wonder if part comments. of it is that they don't want to bring any more attention to yeah, or like Rowan. Hunt. You know, yeah. like I mean, th they are saying here that they do not believe Rowan did any wrong, and so maybe there's a concern that if they name him specifically, you, you know, our regional champion Rowan Stavenow, this came out about him. Um, maybe they're worried that more hate or more attention would be driven to him unnecessarily. But if you look at the, so they tweeted this and it's a link to the blog post on, uh, or I guess a forum post, I should say, on the Pokemon website. If you look in the replies, like <laughs> everyone is like, what is happening? This has to be the most vague statement ever. Anyone have any background on what this is all about? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, this is a very positive thing to see that they're coming out and saying what their findings were. Um, it, I mean, it's been a few weeks since Hartford happened, but I think it makes sense that it would take a few weeks for them to post something about it. Yeah. It sounds like they did a proper investigation, right? And uh, they probably wanted to formulate a statement that was accurate to what their true intentions were moving forward as well. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of uh, definitely cool to see them make the statement. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the thing, like tons of people, right? Like a ton of people follow the like, Pokemon account. And me and you are very invested in the community and very in tune with a lot of the goings on and the dramas and all that right so we know exactly what they're talking about a lot of people so uh, many of these us. questions though yeah. on the post so i don't know should they call out the 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 people the players by name i don't know that's like something i'm not too sure about you definitely don't want to incite more drama and witch hunting to happen um through naming them but also you know it leaves so much up to the unknown for a lot of people by not putting names out there or maybe being a little bit more clear something like this i think is definitely a step in the right direction but i think we're still definitely waiting on they, they still have a post to make hopefully we get a post about editor sometime soon i'm i'm waiting for that one so um they're not done yet making statements I would, hopefully i would love to be proven wrong about editor i've said since the <laughs> beginning that i don't think he's going to be banned i would love so much for them to prove me wrong and for them to come out and give us a statement saying that this player has been disqualified or not disqualified, but has received a ban or they've decided to take action against this player. Even if they don't say specifically like this players, th they don't name the player and they don't um, say how long they're banned for. Right. Yeah. We're in the know, right. We're going to know like if they make another vague post like this, yeah. a player at a recent tournament was accused well, of say, doing this on stream. Like we'll know what they're talking yeah. about. Right. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see if that happens. I think one of the reasons maybe that one is taking... Well, this one, Hartford was before Bogota, right? So, right, like, right. already... Wait, was it, though? Yes. You sure? You're making me question myself. You're gaslighting me. I actually just don't know, so that's why I'm questioning it. <laughs> Let's just say it was, though. I, I know you're looking it up right now. Um, so, Hartford was before Bogota, and we just it's... got the Hartford statement. It was not. Bogota uh, was a week before Hartford. Okay. Um, so maybe we are a little bit late on this Bogota. The only thing about the Bogota thing, though, um, and this is something that kind of came to my mind, like as I was talking about it with someone at the tournament this weekend, is like if uh, they because it's Bogota's so points got uploaded super late, 
right? So that means they like, like the just TO... got uploaded this yeah. past week, I think. Yeah. So like the tournament wasn't reported by the TO until like literally this past week. And maybe with that, I'm sure they probably are waiting on a report from the TO to potentially make any decision around the editor situation, right? They're probably waiting for them to like submit an official report uh, alongside probably submitting the tournament. So that might be the delay in that is the only thing I can kind of think of. I'm just like, I would be so shocked if editor does not receive a band that I'm just like a band like, okay, just give them a little bit more time. And uh, and hopefully <laughs> yeah. that's all it is. But I, I don't know. At this point, I'm not too sure, to, to be honest. Especially now with the confirmation that Bogota was in fact before Hartford Regionals. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, overall, this is a very positive thing. It maybe. This feels like more than baby steps as well, though. This feels like a good no, solid. No, no, no. You think Don't it's still give baby too much steps. Time. It's still baby okay. steps. Okay, okay. This is definitely the ban list isn't public, like anything like that. Like Magic's been posted. But I don't about know that that's ever going to forever. change. You know. Yeah, that doesn't matter though. Like, there's still not. You can't give them too much credit. This is just like finally they're doing something that's correct. That's I think we should give them that. That's about it. Can't get them. Can't give them too much. Might run away with it. They still PTG Live is a mess. They they had to. <laughs> it's totally separate department. They had to. Dude. They had to can their uh, tournament uh, software. Like no, we're not letting him cook. Not letting him cook. <laughs> they have been cooked. This is one of the, like the the. This is like one of those things that they should have just been doing from the start, or for a while. Maybe not from the start, but yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess just the big question with this is, like, should it be more direct? And I'd be kind of curious to know in other games. I think you asked a friend right before we started recording. Uh, I'd be curious to know in, like, Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! If, like, yeah. when stuff happens, if they make announcements that clearly outline this person did this or we believe this person did this. Yeah, I don't know. I think in Magic they definitely do that. Uh, but the the person I asked, they're like a Yu-Gi-Oh player. They they told me that they that the Yu-Gi-Oh ban get, ban list just gets like updated like four times a year, and then that's when you just know for sure that people are banned. But there's no like posts about the situation, so there's not quite as much transparency as Pokemon um, with this. That's funny though, Chip. That you like, should we give Pokemon some credit for doing this? But like in basically in two sentences, uh, twenty seconds apart, you're like, dude, they're never banning Edder, and you're like, let's give Pokemon credit. They're doing a good job here. <laughs> Listen, no, not, don't want to give them too much credit. It's cool to see them doing this. Um, and hopefully they make continue to make more statements about situations that happen in the Pokemon TCG. I feel like they will. I feel like they can't really go back on this now. And that we'll see them with the future You know, situations that come up. We'll probably see more and more of these statements coming out. Finally, a statement. The statement about statements did actually lead to a statement eventually. <laughs> and hopefully at least many more statements for similar situations that come up in the future. Yeah, yeah. So baby step in the right direction how mm. we can see. we're not even giving him a baby step as well come on <laughs> listen if, um, if if no credit's given whenever good things happen then like what's the point you know but they know it's not like it's not like where it's like a child and it's like we're having to like reward them to you know oh yeah yeah okay it's fine we don't have foster to. <laughs> good behaviors and stuff like that they know they're adults over there they can we handle don't it have to harp <laughs> on it it's totally fine totally all fine. right and i think with that said Chip, I think that's it for the episode for the for this week. Unless you had something else you want to to make a comment on. No, I think that's it. That covers everything we wanted to talk about. Um, I think we're both excited to kind of sink our teeth into Paldea Evolved a little bit more, so we know. Mm. No, <laughs> well, I mean it's on PDCG Live, so I don't know. <laughs> There's other ways to play, man. There's other ways to play. I know you probably won't play that yeah. way, but yeah, I don't think I will. 
But yeah, uh, thanks so much to everyone, as always, for listening. This is going to be the end of our main episode, but never fear. We have a bonus Patreon episode that we're going to record immediately as soon as this one ends. Thanks, as always, to those who have chosen to support us over on Patreon. And if you want to get some more content from us every single week, the place to do it is over at the Patreon linked in the description. Um, But if you are just listening to the free episode here on YouTube or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to it, If you want to show your support non-monetarily, the best way to do that is by leaving a review, a rating, a like, a comment. Any of those things really do go a super long way. They help more people discover the podcasts. We really would appreciate it. You can follow us on our socials as well to stay in the loop of what we have going on. Myself at Chip Ritchie, Azul at Azul underscore GG, and then the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Yep, appreciate the support as always. I don't think there's any tournaments coming up this weekend. Um, we've got any cups or challenges. Good luck Puerto to those, those people. Events? Is that this weekend or next weekend? It might be this weekend, actually. No, no, no. It's the weekend after because Palde Evolved's legal. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah, not yeah. this weekend, yeah. Um, but yeah, collect anyone wrapping up those invites. Quite a few people got their invites at Fresno. Love to see it. Um, and I'm sure quite a few more will be getting theirs this weekend. Cups and challenges and so on and so forth. And we'll catch you all next week, Tuesday, 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.